What's going on, everybody? Cheers, and welcome to the With Her Two Hands podcast. Sorry for a little technical difficulties there. Gotta love technology. But welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you all could tune in tonight and join us for this super important special episode of With Her Two Hands. My name is Bogey, and I'll be your host for this evening and for the series where each week we get to sit down with a different, incredibly talented, incredibly inspiring, woman who works in the field, building, fixing, and making the things that make the world go around all careers with her two hands. I'm excited to be joined today by a woman who um, in her in her previous life was an automotive technician and painter, but she has completely switched gears to focus on one of her other passions, which is helping tradespeople do more with their money. Um, interesting story. If you guys follow me on social media, you've already heard this, but about a month or so back, I was at a middle school and I was is, um, fortunate enough to be able to talk with a number of amazing students about careers in the trades. And I was asked by an eighth grader if being an auto mechanic was a career where you could create generational wealth. First of all, I was floored by the fact that an eighth grader would ask me that question because Lord knows when I was in eighth grade, that is not what I was thinking about. Um, but it was something that really reminded me how passionate I am about this topic that that what you make, how much you make is less important than what you do with what you make. And um, so I'm very excited about this week's conversation. I think it's really going to be very relevant to everybody, not just women working in the trades, but all tradespeople. And in fact, really all people, because financial advice is financial advice is financial advice. Now, a quick note, um, we will not be doing specific financial advice. If you have questions, please feel free to ask in the comments. Um, we would love to answer your questions, but we're not talking about like specific investment kind of questions. We're talking overall general financial management kind of stuff. So please, if you have questions, please feel free to put them in the comments. Um, we'd love to hear from you and interact with you during this live stream. Um, I want to thank you all for taking time out of your week to tune into this series. And for those of you who watch later in the week, welcome to you as well. Um, as always, you can catch a new live episode every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. And every Monday, we release a new archived episode from this series past life as the series uh, trades lady happy hour that lived on my Instagram page. Um, I also have to do a quick thank you to our partner on this episode, Drive Time. If you're not familiar with them, definitely go check them out. They're an incredible organization uh, that creates a lot of career opportunities for people, young people, all people in all sorts of different automotive trades and helps them uh, really find their path within their organization. They do a ton of great training, ton of great education, just a really great organization that I've had the privilege of working with over the last several years on this series. So big thank you to them for their continued support um, of this series and of women in the trades in general. Now, enough of me blabbing. Without further ado, I'm going to bring on Miss Rachel James, our special guest for tonight's special episode. Hello, hello. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Honored and humbled. This is I, so cool. I, 
the same. I'm honored and humbled to have you on here. I've been following you for a long time. I love what you're doing. I think it's so important. Um, and I love you know, what you said in kind of some of our communications when we were emailing back and forth, that like you're passionate about changing the way people think and talk about money. I feel like money is this like taboo topic that we're not supposed to talk about, right? Um, that there's something not okay about that. And so I love that you're all about breaking through that and talking about it, especially for tradespeople. I think it's so important. So thank you. Yeah, no, th thank you for having me here. I, I truly mean it when I say I'm honored and humbled. I've also been following you for a long time. So to, to be in this moment is kind of surreal and cool. But um, what you said is so true. I think finance and money is the only taboo subject left that we have. We will talk about all sorts of freaky, funny stuff with our friends in detail. Right. But yet we won't talk about the debt that we have or how we're managing our money or how we're saving our money or what we make. Uh, it's a very uncouth thing to talk about socially and, and frankly, like socially inappropriate, um, which leaves us all to just figure out through observation, which isn't necessarily the greatest thing, or through following Instagram, TikTok reels or whatever, which... <laughs> may not be, you know, sound advice. So it's <laughs> very passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I'm so curious, before we get into like, you know, really digging into the topic at hand, I, I want to chat a little bit about your background because you didn't, you know, you're not a financial planner that suddenly woke up one day and said, I want to focus on the trades. Um, you came about this a little bit differently what is your trades story and how how that kind of happened and then how on earth did you make that transition into being a financial advisor so let's go back in time a little yeah um one i grew up uh in a family that was sort of i think i was almost without choice kind of headed in that direction my dad was an airplane mechanic and just okay. insanely inclined mechanically my mom um used to be like a typist for auto repair manuals. So she would type oh. them up back in the day when they were print. And um, I went to vocational school. I went to tech college. I actually went to East Coast Aerotech to work on planes. That was sort of my training after high school. And right out of that, I got a job at Ira Nissan working as a tech on the floor. Okay. And I just loved it. I mean, I think it wasn't that I was trying to break down barriers or do anything cool. I, it just was when I thought about the advice my parents gave me was do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Like, and at the time I spent the weekends, you know, with my friends at the dragway or working or tinkering on something. And it was kind of like, all right, well, this is, this is what I like to do for fun. Like I'll just do it professionally. Yeah. And um, I loved it. I mean, some of my most fond memories were, those jobs that I had, I wound up working at a, a Chevy dealer and a Hyundai dealer. And then, um, you know, as, as I'm sure we can all relate, kind of going back in time a little bit, there weren't, Facebook wasn't out, you know, it, it, we didn't have social media. I wasn't aware of any other women doing the work that I was doing. So it was somewhat lonely in that way that I, I really kind of felt mm, like the only one. And at that time we didn't have uniforms that were were designed for women either. So I was stuck wearing 30 by 30 men's pants and, you know, a, a man's medium shirt, which went down to my knees. So I looked like a, a knucklehead. <laughs> um, I didn't have boots. I mean, like, there's just a lot of things that, you know, working through it. And then um, I just, I happened to cross paths with someone who worked in the automotive paint distribution side of the business. 
they really encouraged me to kind of take a crossover into the refinish side. And, and at first I was hesitant. I really kind of didn't have any interest, but then I went for my auto damage appraiser license and just kind of like kept, you know, learned how to spray and, and started to kind of cross over in that arena and fell in love with refinish. And then I had a, um, I'm a firm believer that all, all of the jobs I've ever had have been through someone I know, right? Like it's it just, you meet people and, and, and that just opens up the opportunity. And um, I wound up getting a job at PPG and PPG is a, you know, a global coatings company for automotive. And they had a program where you could go to night school and they'd pay almost a hundred percent of your tuition, oh, wow. you know, as long as you stayed with the company for so many years. So I went at night, I worked at PPG all day. And then I went to college at night for my yeah. bachelor's in business. And I took a lot of accounting and finance classes because as my role, uh, I worked in the Northeast, uh, I'm based out of Boston. And the role that I had was really to help collision centers, dealership, dealerships, like independent commercial truck shops. And as technology changed in vehicles, the questions that we were getting had nothing to do with paint or the repair or the refinish. It had to do with like, well, how do I know if I made enough money this month? How do I know? You know, so these questions would, would really start to develop. And because I was going to school at the same time, I would take the questions that I got during the day and then I'd bring them to school to my teachers and go, how do I understand this? <laughs> like, What do I do with this? And, um, you know, it became really fascinating to me. I really, it became almost a passion of understanding like, okay, well, you know, if we're not making enough profit here, what could we do to change that? How could we fix that? Can we change the process on the floor? I got really geeked into like Six Sigma and Greenbelt and in all the like process management type things. And I was really passionate about it. But the, the continued theme for a while was questions about money. For most blue collar business owners or, or professionals at that rate, um, we all, for the majority, kind of came grassroots through, you know, most owners are painters or technicians or managers who said, I could do this differently, or I want to do this differently, or I want it to be my own and, and get into business ownership. Very few, although some do, follow the track of traditional education and have exposure to financial literacy, education, business school, some of those things. So they learn just through observation, through instinct, through failure, and, 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 you know, hats off to so many who are wildly successful, more brilliant than me that, that have just nailed it in every category based on just sheer, like internal brilliance. But for some it's intimidating. Like how the hell do you, um, you know, navigate finance. And it was sort of maybe five years ago that I really realized like, geez, we're all running around blind and we don't have some and i i thought there's got to be someone that's doing this and the more and more i looked i couldn't find anyone and and maybe there are other people i still to this day I, i've yet to bump into competition um but it it really spurred kind of this thought process of like well what would it take to become a financial advisor and what would it take to build a practice where it doesn't matter what you make you don't need to be high net worth like if you spin a wrench or you spray with a, a gun or whatever right like we'll listen and help and, and offer some, some thoughts. And that, I mean, that's sort of a long winded answer. Sorry, but like, no, that's okay. <laughs> it's kind of windy road. It wasn't really, certainly not what my younger self would have thought. I definitely wouldn't have thought that this is what I would be doing, but I'm very happy that I'm doing it. 
it's it's such a fascinating road that you've taken. I I absolutely love it. And I think you're so you're so right on the business piece of it. Like so many shop owners start out as mechanics, they start out as painters, they start out as whatever. And and sometimes it is sheer brilliance, like you said, that they manage to survive, but like realistically, you know, they say 95% of small businesses fail within the first five years. Right. And every single mechanic, painter, body tech I know says, I want to own my own shop one day, but they where do they go to learn this stuff? And mostly, you know, I was a business owner in the same boat. I was a mechanic who became a business owner and I learned by messing up, right? Like I didn't have a place to go for it at first. I found people that, that could coach and mentor me, but um, but it's tough. And that is like the number one thing that causes small businesses to fail is because we don't know how to manage our money or how to read our books or what a PNL is, let alone how to read it, right? Um, so that's it's huge and you're definitely right on that that is kind of probably the biggest pain point um, for small business owners, but also just for individuals. Do you work mostly with small businesses or business or do you work with individuals or both? Both, both. Okay. Um, I think, you know, it's different, right? We have to kind of sure. put on a different hat because um, certainly personal planning bleeds right into business and business, you know, if you're not successful personally, it's going to suffer on the business and vice versa. Um, so, I mean, we, we don't discriminate in that way. It's just kind of a different lens that we're looking through things. But I, I think to your point about like business owners and the failure rate, I know for me, as I first started to uncover, like how to determine gross profit in your business, I was intimidated to ask the, I couldn't figure out how to do the math. Right. And the way people talked in front of me, I just remember being like, oh, this is something I should know. I'm just not going to ask. <laughs> Eventually, mm -hmm. it'll again. And I waited a, too long to even like raise my hand and be like, what is the, the formula that I should put in my you know calculator to figure this out? Yeah. And, and I don't know if that's ego or embarrassment or, or failure to be vulnerable, but I, I hesitated on raising my hand and going, I don't know how to do that equation. But in hindsight, you know, for most of us, when's the last time you took a math class? Like, and when you did, it was probably calculus and or, or algebra that none of us are using. And it was maybe right. 10, 15 years ago. So yeah. I think the failure rate could be avoided a little bit by just raising your hand and being like, yeah, I need help, which, which takes courage to do. It's not easy. Absolutely. And I feel like there's kind of you know, similar to the automotive world, right? There's a lot of gatekeeping of information, right? Mm -hmm. So in the in the automotive industry and in a lot of the trades, you've got the older generation who's got the kind of like mindset of I worked hard to learn all of my tricks. Why should I teach you young whippersnapper? Right. Or there's just a lot of use of big words that that whether intentionally or not are kind of designed to intimidate. And I think the financial world is the same when you're first getting into investing and in financial literacy. Like you tune into like these these podcasts or these shows, which are mostly older men who are using really big words and throwing around jargon. You're like, whoa, I don't know any of this and I feel stupid, right? And then that shame begets more shame, begets more shame and less likelihood to raise your hand and ask the question. Yeah, I, I think the finance industry at large uses a lot of really fancy words to make it that way. I think by design, I don't know. Um, but it definitely doesn't have to be. Yeah. What's interesting in my perspective is that most of it has to do with discipline and psychology and emotion more than anything else. 
Um, because ultimately, you know, it's the power of saving and your discipline to be, you know, to resist the temptation to go buy a Corvette when there's money in your operating account, you know, um, it, the same as the, the same discipline would be used to avoid the pizza that someone brought into the lunchroom or the roach coach that, that pulls in during the break or whatever, right? It, it's about discipline and creating systematic behaviors. And it's also not all in one day. Um, you know, I, I think there's this thought of like, oh my gosh, if I'm going to, you know, get ahead, I need to like put it all on the line and, and take all my money and save it. But that's just the same as if you were to go, if you were trying to lose weight, I use sort of this analogy a lot, but if you were trying to lose weight and you went to the gym and you worked out for 12 hours, you would just be sore and miserable the next day and nothing would change. You'd be in the same size jeans. The weight would likely be the same. And, and maybe you'd have an injury like it wouldn't <laughs> go well. And the same is true with, you know, financial planning. It's never really done. It's kind of this constant thing that that evolves over time. And it's about the discipline to stay on task and on plan, even in the moments that you don't want to. And you're like, ooh, shiny something, squirrel, whatever. Like, I, I, I'm tempted to spend my money on X, Y, or Z, but your goals are bigger and you are disciplined enough to say, no, I'm going to save for this or save for that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I I remember when, you know, talking about that, like that stigma around talking about it. Um, I, I remember when I was in trade school and I had gone through a four-year college because I went to the college path before I went to trade school. Um, but it wasn't until like three months into trade school that I had a teacher stop all of class and spend an entire day talking about the power of savings and the power of investing in a IRA and the difference between a 401k and a Roth IRA. And, and I was this you know, college graduate who didn't know any of that. And I, I felt so much shame for not knowing these things, but it was amazing to me that it took going to trade school for me to have a teacher to talk about that stuff and to make it okay to talk about um, it was just, it was a really powerful thing to me for these young kids, a lot of whom, you know, I was going to school with a lot of people who were five years younger than me, who were at 19, 18, getting to learn that power of even if you just put away $5 a month, right? Like, even if it's nothing at first, what the power of that does over a 40-year career, right? Well, you're right on the nail, right? Um, when we think about you know, the observation of your finances and your behavior, a lot of it comes from how you're exposed to it, right? So when we think about um, your finances, it really comes down to, um, I say this quite frequently, but like um, it's similar to having your shoe untied. No one ever really wants to um, be bad with their money. They always kind of want to be good with their money. And I think it's very similar to having your shoe untied. There's two ways you figure out that your shoe's untied. Uh, either you trip and fall and then you figure it out or someone goes to you and points it out and says, hey, your shoe's untied and then you immediately fix it. So, you know, I guess the way I look at it is I really feel as though if you have someone in your life that talks to you about it or shows you different things, that's half the battle is that when, when you don't know it, it's very easy to miss the target. But if there's someone helping you out and kind of um, 
you know, there for you. I think that that can be really powerful when, when someone can just point things out to you. And that could even just be a friend. Um, that doesn't necessarily have to be a professional, right? That can just be someone who's got a different observation. Then it, it's hard to see the forest through the trees um, when you're in your own world. But just to have someone else kind of guide you and say, hey, here's here's some things that you may want to look look at. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, they say they say that we become the the five people who we spend the most time with, right? And they say that, right? Like, and they say that yeah. you know our behavior, especially when it comes to money comes so much from what was modeled for us when we were kids, right? And if you grew up in a household where they there was no money management, and then you work with a bunch of other 19 and 20 year olds or, or even 30 year olds who don't know how to manage their money, then where are you gonna get to learn that if we're not talking about it collectively? Mm. I, and it, you know, it's interesting, it's so spot on, generationally, I, I think it's so cool that an eighth grader asked about generational wealth. I can tell you for sure that in eighth grade, I was not thinking that at all. <laughs> so hats off to that kid, wherever that kid's from. But oh. um, <laughs> unreal question. But um, it's so true. Like my parents, they never talked to me about money. And even when I asked, even when I inquired about, you know, what is our mortgage? What does this cost? What does that cost? And even as a young adult, like what's a reasonable rent? What's this? My parents were like, oh, hell no. We're not talking about that. That's none of your business. Um, So it it makes it very challenging. And then you're kind of out there in the world trying to figure things out on your own rather than getting guidance. And and frankly, I don't, you know, I don't know that my parents knew. And that's probably why they didn't tell me. Like, we don't know. What are we going to tell you? (laughs) Um, So if we don't have discussions around it, it, it can lend itself to, to trouble. But I think the other thing that you said was kind of interesting was, you know, how you felt that you were in college and there was kids and, and that emotion piece of it. I can't tell you how much shame we all have around money yeah. and, and feeling crummy about it. Yeah. Um, the reality, I just read this statistic and statistics, right? They, they can be total BS. So maybe it's true. Maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, but it was a staggering fact that out of all the Americans, 50% of us have less than $400 in our bank account is like an ongoing average. And, you know, I would argue or think that a lot of people feel negative about that or feel kind of verklempt that I don't have savings and this doesn't feel good. But if people knew those stats and knew that, Hey, you know what? There's a lot of people like me. And even if it's not good, okay, that's fine. What could you do tomorrow and the day after? Could you save a dollar a day? Could you slowly make incremental changes? Because, just like anything else that takes discipline, I'm sure when you started your shop, there was all sorts of things that you had to work on over and over and over again. Or, or when you think of like a rest dog, yeah. you can't do it overnight, right? Like you got to keep tweaking it and working it. Um, the best things take discipline. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like, tell me what, what you've encountered with your clients that you've worked with, but I, I feel like there's um, you know this idea of, you know, whatever you learned from your parents, not necessarily about financial management, but like if like I, I I had it framed to me once as like, what is your financial story? Like, what is your story about money that you've made up in your head? Like mine was there'll always be an adequate amount, but never extra. And Mm. so I found myself recreating that in my life. Like I would always manage to have just enough, but never any extra. And it wasn't till I realized that that was my story 
that I could start to rewrite it. And I've, I've met people who have shame around, they think money is bad. So when they get extra, they give it away, right? They associate money with, with evilness or with bad things or, or, um, guilt. or guilt, right? So there's all these different layers of, of things. Do you find any kind of common mindsets around money that are challenging for people to like overcome? Yeah, I think that there's analysis paralysis, right? There's so many, in some cases, there's the the space where you just need to think about it a lot before you make a decision, or there's so much worry over not knowing exactly what to do. So instead of doing something, I'm going to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's a lot of guilt and shame and all kinds of crummy emotions. Uh, and I see it viscerally when I first meet with someone, you can almost see body language, just the tensing of people's bodies as they go through and, and talk about their debt. Um, and the shame is that, everybody has it. You know, I mean, it's, it's the reality. Um, so many people have debt, so many people have, and, and some people just have unfortunate things happen in their life that they have to dig them. That maybe were out of their control, that they had no other option to do what they had to do. Um, so I think from an emotional standpoint, I think people have a lot of really crummy emotions around it. And to your point, I had a mentor of mine once say that in order to make more money, you have to have a purpose for it. Um, because if you don't have a purpose for it, you're going to have weird emotions around what that, you know, you can want to be a millionaire all you want, but what are you going to do with that money when you make it? It makes it more real and it makes it more intentional to actually get it. Because to say you want a million dollars is is something, but what would you do if you're a business owner? What would you do with that money? Would you hire more people? Would you buy a new spray booth? Would you buy a new frame rack, a new lift, a new hunter machine, right? Like what are the things that you would use the money for if you were to grow it? Right. Um, so I think what, like what you were saying about having your own mental um, thoughts around it, I think everybody's entitled to make money. Yes. We, we live in a country where, you know, it's capitalist, make your money. Um, and I would encourage people to, to do that. Yeah. I, there's, it, it's okay to make money, I think, which is hard, I think, in some ways for people to, uh, be okay with it. Right. Cause there is built a lot of shame around it about in so many ways. And I think as technicians, particularly like the analysis paralysis, first of all, that's huge. I'm so glad you said that. Cause especially techs, I find like we need to understand the thing, right? Like we've got to, got to mm-hmm. totally understand and dissect and take it apart. And that's a good thing, but it can be a debilitating thing. Um, and we have this culture of like, it's okay to have a gazillion dollars of debt with a tool truck. And like, just, just put it on the, put it on the account. And like, that's the joke, right? Like it's joked about, but if we're never talking about the realness of debt and how to get out of it, then it's just this, it becomes this superficial culture of like, eh, just put it on the tool account, just put it on the, whatever I need to have this new tool. And Lord, we know we love our tools, <laughs> but, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> um, but, but that brings up a great point. Um, you know, I think about, for those that are maybe younger listening, like I think about when I first started as a tech, when I got my first real job, I'll say, as like working for a dealership, to me, it was like, oh, I'm having a uniform with my name on it. This is like the big time, you know? <laughs> um, I freaked out. I, you know, I had like a, a moment where I like hyperventilated and I was like, oh my God, I don't know that I have all the tools that I need. And I, I went to Sears and I bought the whole goddamn department. And what a <laughs> foolish decision because I could have, um, you know, asked my soon to be boss, like, Hey, what do I need? 
you know, like what, what tools do I need to bring for, you know, what, what is shop supplies and what are the things that I'm required? And as a newbie, I didn't even think to ask it. I just felt like, shit, I got to buy everything under the sun. Right. <laughs> but same with like understanding, you know, like the stuff that maybe doesn't need to be quality or tool truck tools. Like what are some of the things that you can buy a little bit more affordably, whether it's, you know, Harbor Freight or otherwise for, and that's where you're going to need guidance from elder techs. You know, what, where does it make sense to invest in, in equipment and where does it not? But just throwing it on the truck, there's interest there. And that really high interest, really high interest. And I'm not negating tool truck program. You know, I mean, I, I love <laughs> me some, some brand name tools, but you know, pay for it in cash or at the very least have your own loan that you're doing because the, the rates that you're getting on the truck when you cuff it are staggering and it, it will com compound, you know, you may be putting $10 on it a week or whatever the case may be, but you know, could you borrow a tool from a coworker for a couple of weeks until you can afford it? Or can you, you know, figure out another way than to just keep adding on and adding on similar to the, you know, the discipline piece. It's like, it's easy to ignore it if you're not facing it right. and you're not looking at it. That's a huge tip that you just dropped though, that I don't want to let like get glossed over this idea of like, you don't, if you need to borrow money to buy tools, you don't have to do it in a high interest rate way because when you're paying that $10 a week or whatever, like you're barely making a dent in the interest. You're not even touching mm -hmm. the principal half of the time. And that in and of itself is a concept that I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand or don't think about. It never occurred to me when I was younger that I could get a lower interest rate loan somewhere else Right. Or even a credit card with a 0% that's locked for 12 or 24 months, you know, can you use that to facilitate the tools that you need? And then the, the payments you're making are going right to the principal debt that you owe. Um, so some of it is about strategy and about, um, you know, prioritizing what you need, but also thinking about like, how can I do this in the most mindful way that I'm not going to go broke doing it? Um, and, and that, that even comes down to budgeting. Um, budgeting, I think is a big thing and the power of observation is so incredible. Um, when we observe our own behaviors, when we observe the things that we're doing, our outcomes change and, you know, same as anything else in our world, when you observe things routinely, you tend to react to it, whether it's intentional or unintentional. And, you know, I think having a, a firm budget is probably the, the foundation of planning. And one of the things that I think is um, interesting, and we don't talk about it either, is this concept of 20-60-20. And it's a basic budgeting concept, and, and there's different variations of it. So if you look it up, you may see other splits, but that's usually the one I use. But 20% um, okay. okay. of your income should go toward retirement and savings. 60% of your income should go toward the fixed expenses, mortgage, rent, food, groceries, that kind of stuff. And then 20% for discretionary, the fun stuff pool wheeling, dirt biking, jet skiing, fishing, I don't know what you're into, in that bucket. And we don't talk about it, but if you're 18 and you start out with your life before you get a house and you build in you know, some of these debts on your personal side, you can kind of fit everything in that little 60% bucket. But if you're you know, past 40 and you have a mortgage and you've kind of already built it and you're at 80%, it's very hard to change that when you've already established what your fixed you know, expenses are. So I think having a, an idea and a concept around what you're going to spend on your, 
weekly, monthly routine for fixed expenses, but having sort of that budget for tools of like, okay, maybe it's a hundred dollars a month or, or 200 or whatever that number is, but having a clear and defined amount that you're committed to spending on investing in your career. And that might be education. That might be tools. That might be a training class. That might be a, a coach. There's a whole slew of things that you can do to reinvest back in yourself. Yeah. But I think there's, um, some foundational things that can really be fixed just by having a budget. Yeah, no, absolutely. Is that probably one of the first things that you wind up working with, with people on? Yeah. Uh, I think that's the foundation of everything is if we don't have a firm grasp on where we're at with cash flow and how things are moving, it's very difficult to build, um, beyond that, you know, right. and I, I use this, um, story about the Hawthorne effect a lot. And it's, you know, I may butcher the story, but this is the version that I know is that in, in the 1950s, there was an electrical company that, uh, they wanted to get more production out of their, their shop. So they, you know, had a, a group come in to study the behavior of their employees. And the result of this study was that the, the sheer fact that there were people in their location wearing lab coats, and watching the employees, the production changed. The, the people worked a little harder and production got better. And the moral of the story was that observation changes outcome. That by having someone else over your shoulder or, or you just intentionally looking at things, the behaviors start to change because the observation exists. It's very easy to overspend over and over and over again and, and blow money, you know, with martinis with the girls on the weekend and spend a thousand bucks on, on booze and, and totally ignore it. But if you're systematically looking at your checking account or, or savings account or whatever, however you manage your money, if you're systematically looking at that with some sort of routine, it's hard to keep looking that in the face and not change your behavior. So if you take nothing else from our conversation today, it's just start looking you don't even have to know what you're looking at. Um, and that's usually my advice even to business owners is like, when's the last time you looked at your P&L? When's the last time you looked at your balance sheet? Do you even have one? Do you even know what it is? Like, let's just look at it. Yeah. And let's just keep looking at it. And then you'll start to notice trends and also anomalies, right? Like if your P&L, um, if you've never looked at it, you won't know if there's an egregious bill that doesn't make sense. But if you're always looking at it systematically and you're going through your QuickBooks and you're looking at things and you usually only spend, let's say, $1,000 a month in marketing and all of a sudden there's a $20,000 expense, it's an outlier. It, right. it screams like, OK, we got a problem. So it's a way for you to kind of and, and maybe, you know, oh, I, we did some contract or we did something and that makes sense. Or maybe there's fraud. Or maybe there was a billing issue and you can get ahead of it. But if you never look at it, you might go the whole year and not discover it until it's too late to fix it. Yes, absolutely. And how many people, um, and you don't have to raise your hands if you're listening at home, but you do have to think about it, is like how many of us get our monthly credit card statement, our monthly checking statement, whatever, we get it electronically, we don't even open it and look at it and everything is on auto pay and we never even look. Or if you own a business, you think, well, I'm not good at finances, so I'll just hire a bookkeeper, right? I, <clears throat> excuse me, I knew a, a young um, business owner, solopreneur, who had a, a lovely bookkeeper who was doing all of her accounting for her. She was an older woman and, you know, grandma, super sweet, the whole thing. 
three years into business and with this woman as her bookkeeper, she found out because she finally started looking at her own books that she had been getting swindled. And this bookkeeper was stealing money from her. And it's this idea of if you don't, even if you don't want to do it yourself, looking at your own numbers is so crucially important. And I love the way you said, because I teach this in my basic car care class, which is so funny. Like, even if you don't know what you're looking at, look under your hood once in a while, because you may not know what it is, but you'll know if it looked different than it did last time you looked at it, right? And it's that same concept. It's the exact same concept. <laughs> like, just look it's at it. it. Right? Face it. Yep. I think it's, it's facing the things that maybe make you uncomfortable, because even just showing up, yeah. And I think that's true of all things in life, right? There have been moments where I felt inferior or felt incapable or felt like, mm, I don't know what the heck this is. Just show up yeah. and, and observe because yeah. just the observation, you know, our brains are a wonderful tool. They will adapt to what you see and what you, you consistently see. Yeah. And we're, we're wired to see differences in our environment, right? I think it's almost like a, a, survival instinct, right? Like if, totally. if you're consistently looking at something over and over and over again, and then something's different, it will stick out to you. Yeah. So it, it really comes down to facing it, whether it's under the hood and you're trying to figure out what the heck you're looking at, or if it's your business. Um, but I think you bring up a great point about the bookkeeper. Sometimes having the bookkeeper is a great way to ease into it, have them organize it for you so that it's nice and pretty buttoned with a bow and then you can yep. open it up kind of look at okay this okay that and it's organized in such a way that you can start to study it but also you know we, we talked about this earlier in the call how our industry has this sort of sense of like no I'm not going to help my peers I, I nope you're on your own I'm not going to help you and it's time we change that frankly because if you do come up into a situation where you have a peer group or a study group or a 20 group of maybe some other business owners that you admire right the, the five most bitchin' shops you know, and you get together and say, hey, like, would you be open to talking about how you organize your PL? What are the things you're saving in? How are you organizing your business? What do you do with your employees? How much vacation time do you give them? You know, have a, a conversation about the nitty-gritty. I think what's interesting is that there's so many talented uh shops and people out there. And I feel like half the time my job is osmosis. It's just like sharing like, hey, this is what I'm seeing as a trend here, here, and here. And it's not my brilliant idea. It's what other really talented shops are doing. And we could totally cut out the middleman you know, and just come together and talk about it. I don't know. That's a whole other soapbox. And I don't know. <laughs> but it could be if we started talking. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think, you know, it's kind of like you said, that's like that what you focus on improves, right? So if you're looking at something, if you're focusing on weight loss, you're, you're going to lose weight because you're paying attention to what you put in your mouth. You're paying attention. If you're focusing on growing your savings, it will grow. If you're focusing on your budget, you will get better at following it. And that piece of accountability, right? Like, I know for myself, like I will never wake up at five o'clock in the morning to go for a walk. But if my friend needs support in her goal and asks me to go for a walk, I will walk with her every morning at 5 a.m., right? Like I'm that person who won't do it for myself, but I'll do it for somebody else. <laughs> or like as I need somebody who knows, like I know that they're watching, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's where having a coach like you um, or, or finding within your peer group like not being afraid to ask your your colleagues 
and your friends and your people, like what are they doing? And like, hey, let's set some goals together. Like let's help each other be accountable and focus on growing our our money. But there's so much shame around it to just even ask that first question. We're told not to discuss our salary. Like don't ever tell anybody else what you make for a living, right? Mm -hmm. I remember being ashamed for not having any money. And then when I when I did finally like learn to start really paying attention to my finances, like I feel shame around admitting that I do have money, right? And there's like this when do we get out of that? <laughs> I I think you just have to remove yourself from it and be okay with experiencing, you know, ultimately money's paper. Yeah. And and it's so funny the way we're all emotionally wired around it, but it's paper. It, it, to some degree, it's a figment, right? Like if, if the world imploded tomorrow, what would really matter? Our friends, our family, our loved ones, and, and really special moments with the people we love. But it is kind of uh, fascinating that our behavior is really what most of this is about, but also that accountability. I think what you said is fascinating about how it's easier to do things for someone else. And I think that's, I see that a lot in planning where people will do so much more for their children than they will for themselves or they'll send money back home, or they'll save for a parent, or they'll do something. It's so easy to do something for someone else. But yet when it comes to nurturing our own future, then it becomes this, oh, I don't know. And, and the analogy I use a lot is, you know, when you're in the plane and the, the uh, flight attendant comes out and he says, or she says, when the air thing comes down, put the mask on your, yourself before you put it on the person next to you. It, the same is true with planning, like take care of yourself, build a strong foundation for yourself so that you you have the ability to care for others. It's not necessarily selfish. You can do more when you're strong. It's like building a house without a foundation yeah. or, or, or restoring a car on a rusted chassis. Like, mm, you know, yeah. it might it might work for a little while, but eventually it's going to rust out. Right. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I first got into business for myself, I, 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 firmly said to like, I'm not doing this because I want to make a lot of money. I'm doing this because I want to do good for people. And I, and I'm on this mission. And I remember somebody really challenging me on that. And, and I was angry, like I was angry that they were challenging me on it, but I finally came around and understood his point, which is the more money you make, the more people you can help. So if truly that's what you want to do is help people, you can do that better if you can feed yourself or if you have money to hire more people so that you can help more people, like you can do more good in the world, the more money you have. Yeah. It's all in how you use it and what you do with it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. I mean, there's some really good books too. Um, there's so many really good books. I love the psychology of money by Morgan Housel. It's okay. not um, terribly uh, like, psychology written. It's a pretty easy read. It's, it's pretty laid back, but I love how he just talks about the discipline and he talks about how we're wired, like we're wired and we behave funny. And, and despite us knowing that the right thing to do is to put money in our retirement or to save money, you know, you see those cool new super swamp retires and you go, Ooh, but those are so nice and they would look so good. And then you buy it. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's interesting buyer's remorse, right? You, you, you splurge on something and then all of a sudden you have this massive guilt about it and you feel bad about it. And then you go, but I already bought it and they're on the truck. So I'm just going to keep it. Um, it really is fascinating about it, but 
but again, as an industry at large, I think a lot of business owners specifically, they measure the success of their business through their checkbook, not necessarily the internal finances. They, they look at their checkbook at the end of the month. And as long as there's money in there, it's like, okay, great. We're doing awesome. Yeah. But then they spend all the money on personal fun stuff. And then the following month, the receivables come in or the payables or, or whatever, you know, money changes its disposition and uh oh, I'm broke. Right. And it's sort of this porpoising back and forth um, where they're, they're rich, they're poor, they're rich, they're poor. And that just stinks and no way to live. It's about kind of creating this balance where you understand kind of functionally what you need to build your business. There's some other really good books. I've read Profit First is a really good one. He's a little out there with some of his theories about like having 10,000 million checking accounts, but it's, it's a good read and has some cool ideas. Awesome. So I just looked up at the time and I can't believe that we are like already getting like as far into this hour as we are. So I want to, I want to ask like going, going back to like that, that middle school student who asked me like as, as a technician, as a tradesperson, not a business owner, just somebody working in the, in the trades, can I create generational wealth as a tradesperson? Yeah, you really can. Um, I don't think it's elusive. I think you can absolutely create generational wealth. Um, but it, it will take a little bit of discipline. You have to measure, you know, and I know some, I, I have some peers and some technicians that are brilliant with their money. Um, but it really starts with discipline at the first step and then understanding, you know, estate taxes. Um, there's this concept called rags to rags where in any given generation, someone may climb the ladder and make a, a ton of money. Um, but it's the transfer of money generationally that there's an art to it. And it usually involves um, a lot of thought and a lot of preparation and understanding of your exact financial situation, meeting with an estate attorney, understanding what your local estate tax laws are and federally and, and understanding kind of what that all looks like and sitting down with professionals and mapping out how that actually works. Because the idea of generational wealth is that you're not only are you wealthy, but that you change the course of wealth for your family you know, generationally beyond, right? So maybe the kids, kids, kids that you never even meet are, are benefiting from the things that you're doing now in today's world. And the, the first step of that is saving and having the discipline to save your money, but then also crafting a plan. And I hate to say it, but with professionals and or reading, there's a really, another really good book called What Would the Rockefellers Do? That's also really good. And it compares the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers and how they prepared and, and managed generational wealth. Um, it, it's not something that you can just wave a magic wand and poof, it's there. It takes a lot of strategies the same way, um, you know, if you were going to do a restoration or a car repair or uh, refinish a car, you would follow the SOPs. You'd follow the, the P pages, the procedures. You, you would follow a, a, a program to do it. Same as if you were going to build a house, right? You, you'd look at the blueprints. You, you'd have a, a roadmap to do it. Um, it's absolutely possible to do. It just takes effort and dedicated time and effort to it. And frankly, financial planning is usually the 11th thing on the to-do list. So it's easy to ignore and push off and push off and push off. Um, yeah. One of the phrases I hear more often than not is, man, I wish I had done this sooner. <laughs> it, I must hear that every week, at least once. So 
you know, unfortunately, there's no sense of urgency around this stuff because picturing ourselves older is always hard. I mean, I could never picture my at 18. I couldn't picture myself this old and I still can't really picture what I'm going to look like at 65. Like I refuse to believe that I'm going to eventually look like Betty White. I can't do it. I, just can't, I can't bring my my headspace there. So I think it's hard to visualize like that eventually we'll be older and that it actually will happen. Um, so having a sense of urgency around it is that other component. Yeah. No, absolutely. You bring up so many phenomenal points there. And I, you know, anybody who's listening to this, if if either of us have used words or phrases that you don't know, um, you know, we have we have no excuse now, right? We have we have the Google, we have the internet, right? There's so many resources. And if you think about finances and think about money and your savings and your future, the way we think about car problems, I love that you use the restoration analogy, right? is you know, if we don't know a technique, what do we do? We Google it and we look it up and we look at what other people are doing and how they're shaping metal or how they're fixing a patch, a rust patch. Like we look it up and we dive deep. And you know, if you're anything like me, you watch 14,000 videos on it and you dive in. And if we went at our, our financial health with that same tenacity, and if we hear a word that we've not heard before and like dive deep on it and look into it and, and make those moves because like you said, it every little bit counts and every little bit helps. So like that starting early, it's never too early to start, but it's also like never too late, y'all. Like if you're older and you're watching this, it is never too late to start either. Never too late. You may have to be a little bit more diligent and put in a little bit more effort, but just start. Don't be intimidated. Absolutely. Just, just start. I think that's the, the key piece is like the time is now. Just do it and you won't regret it. Even if it's 50 cents a day and you're putting it in a savings account, it's better than not doing anything yeah. for the rest of your life and thinking that it, it's too, too far gone. Yeah. Absolutely. What are your biggest pieces of advice for somebody who's like just starting on their investment journey or they're even thinking about their finances journey? Like what are their, what are your biggest tips and, and guidance for them to do that you share? Sure. I, I would say the observation piece, start looking at your bank account, understand, like sit down and do a formal budget. There's all sorts of apps that you can find, um, or there's templates that you can get online. You can even go on Etsy and order cute little paper kits that they'll mail to your house. Um, but get a firm understanding of like what it looks like um, and face it, I think is really the first step. Because once you understand cash flow and how money is kind of going, um, in and out of your household. I think that's a great place to start. And then, you know, I, I would say there are so many professionals. You don't have to work with me. There's other professionals. Like we, we all, it's like finding a doctor. You want to find the one that, that fits the best, right? Like, um, but sit with someone. There's all sorts of tools and resources that are zero cost that you can just get that are free that you can use and insert. Read, I think is another one become your own source of, of knowledge. There are so many really good books. I could go on, that could be its own podcast of book recommendations, but read or, or audible, right? Like if you're working on a car and, and your boss is okay with it, throw in the earbuds and, and listen to audiobooks and just start to go down that path. Um, or ask people that are in your circle that you respect and admire that have had some success, that you can see have had success. So that might be a business owner, it might be an entrepreneur, it might be someone completely out of our space. It could be 
an attorney, it could be a doctor, it could be whomever, but start asking questions. And I think there's a polite way to ask about finances. Um, I know it's taboo. I know that you won't go to the Christmas party or, or holiday party and ask people like, hey, what's on your credit card ledger? You know, like, what do you have in your 401k? But I, I would start like talking about it with those that you're closest to and, and be more transparent. It's okay if you've got credit card debt. It's okay if you don't. It's okay if you've got 401k. If we start becoming more comfortable talking about it, I think one, you'll feel validated that you're not alone in whatever situation you're in. And you may learn something from someone else. Just the same as when we go to car shows and we talk about some cool new technique or you go to a conference and you learn something new. There's so much stuff that we all know. You know, Share what you're learning with your peers too. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have um, any, like we've talked a lot about psychology, we've talked a lot, and I think all of those things are like absolutely the most important kind of things to, to be addressing. Because without that, like you said, there's without a good foundation, you can't have a good house, right? You need that psychology, you need all of that, getting your right mindset. Um, you know, is it is it paying off debt first? Is it paying yourself first? Is it putting money into savings? Is it... Um, maxing out your employers matching for your 401k like are do you have some some kind of more specific um financial recommendations for people not and i'm not talking finance you know we're not talking about mutual funds here like which one to invest in we're just talking broadly here (laughs) yeah there's different philosophies and different theories on how to kind of approach it um but, and unfortunately there's no magic wand. So for everybody it is kind of a little different, but I think that the foundation is um, creating a cash flow where you're not in a deficit first, right? Understanding, you know, where money's coming in and out. Emergency fund is usually the, the best place to start. If you don't have the liquidity to handle an unexpected expense, you will continuously fall into the, the trap of credit cards over and over again. And and that I think is the foundation of good planning is if you have three to six months of an emergency fund, that's just fantastic. It's a way, you know, to, to baseline on the personal planning side, but again, um, you know, for business owners that, that number changes. So depending on where you're at in your life, I can't answer it, can't answer it. Right. But like having cash on hand to handle unexpected expenses, I think is the first step. Um, certainly saving for retirement and, utilizing the the matches that are there that's part of your compensation package you know if you work for a shop and there's a retirement plan um, with a match that's part of your comp right that you're leaving on the table if you don't get involved um, you know a lot of uh, planning is around risk management you know having life insurance and disability insurance and and some of the risks protected if there's people dependent on you um, and then having a strategy to save for money so I think there's sort of different lenses that you look. It's uh, liquidity and debt management. How do we have a plan to get you out of debt? Do we have a risk management plan to make sure that your risks are covered and you're not exposed to risk? And that if something were to go wrong, that you'd be okay. And then it's sort of having this strategy around how you're going to accumulate wealth over your lifetime based on whatever your time horizon is, which again, some people want to retire at 50 or 65. So I think some of some of the cool parts about planning is thinking about your future, um, thinking about where you want to be at 65. Is that, and it's different for everyone. Some people want to vacation and travel the world. Other people have no interest in that and they want to just stay local and hang out with their grandkids. 
Um, so part of it too is really kind of envisioning what is this going to look like? Uh, and that sort of can help guide you with what makes the most sense on depending upon your goals. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I hope that that gives some context, but I think there's different buckets that you kind of have to look through. It's risk, yeah. budgeting and wealth. Absolutely. I love that. And I think there was a lot of great, great information and tidbits of advice in there. And I think that goes back to what you said earlier too, of like, it's so important to know that why. And if you know what your why is, whether that's a short-term why I'm saving up for a vacation or a long-term why of, I, I want to be able to retire at this age, or I want to be able to whatever, like when you have that, then it helps make those setting up those systems and creating that discipline so much easier. And it's so much easier to say, I don't have to buy that new Hujima Watson because that's mm -hmm. going to hurt my ability to get to this other thing that I, that I really want to do. And like, and having your why is so important in like everything in life. But I think particularly with finances, because it is so easy to live paycheck to paycheck and so many people do. And then when they do have that extra money and they're like, Ooh, I'm rich and go spend it on something indulgent. <laughs> I see it all the time with technicians. They'll get, you know, a new job. They'll get $2 more an hour. They get the new paycheck and they're like, sweet, I'm going to buy the RV. And then it's right back to tight again, uh, which is just such, such a bummer. It's such a bummer. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, I had a, a mentor of mine a couple of years ago, encouraged me to have a vision statement. So I've been doing it the last couple of years and I will say it's incredible. Um, like for yourself, a personal for vision statement? Personal okay. vision. So I, I built it a couple of years ago and I've continuously redone it every year, but I kind of forecast out, okay, picture perfect. My life goes exactly the way, you know, in any, every possible like area of my life, what my life would look like. And I, I kind of cast out this vision of, okay, five years from now, 10 years from now, like what would have happened? And it's almost as if I'm writing like a diary entry of the past five years mm. of professional things that have happened, family things that have happened, like all sorts of stuff. And I read it a lot. So I print it out and I usually leave it by my desk and I, I frequently read it. And what's interesting is that it, it validates my goals. And some of these are like, I wouldn't share this with anybody there. It's really your personal goals. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're like really ridiculous goals, some of them, but I'm like, eh, I'll keep reading it and hopefully it'll happen. Um, but what's interesting is it does kind of align you if you're constantly pushing yourself and putting yourself in front of that vision. And that could be retirement goals. It could be business goals. It could be starting your first business or growing your business and scaling it or taking over the world, right? Um, once you have a really clear vision, I think it's easier to have the discipline around the things that are hard to have discipline around and to, you know, really think through how things are going to um, keep you on track for what you really want out of life. And to figure out what those steps are, right? Like how you can't get to where you're going if you haven't identified where you're going. And once you do identify that, then you can figure out those steps. Like I love the idea of writing it out. Like I, I used to do this and maybe I need to get back to it. Like I used to have like my top goals written on my mirror so that every morning, every day, they were right in front of me that like kept me focused on it. And like every day was like, yes, this is, I'm working on this. Yeah. It's so It's big. subliminal. It's it so, is. you know, it's your North star in life, right? If you were to take a boat from here to, to London, well, I'm in Boston, right? But if, if I were to take a boat from here to London and I was one degree off, I would wind <laughs> up somewhere completely different. 
Right. <laughs> um, so it's about aligning yourself and kind of course correcting yourself to that. And I don't, I don't think you need to be super sophisticated, um, but you can plan a lot in your life if you know what you really want out of it. I think the steps will become more clear when you know what the end game looks like. Yeah, absolutely. How can people find you? Ooh, um, I want to ask you questions or friend you or hire yeah, you. Sure. I would love, I love friends. Um, <laughs> so my maiden name was scary. Uh, so my, my Insta handle scary spice. I love it. Um, so you're welcome to, to follow me there. Torque financial group is my, my practice. Um, we do, you know, financial planning for all the blue collar peeps. I joke any business with wheels is kind of where, where we want to be. So that's on Insta. Um, and, and we have a website. Um, I'm Ray James on Facebook. So R A E James on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, but yeah, my cell phone number. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Whatever you want, call me. I don't know. The only thing is I'm Eastern time zone. Don't, don't call me like way late at night, but, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Google Rachel James or Torque Financial Group, and it should, you know, there should be some con, con, uh, contact information. Contact. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I will put all of the contact information for how you can find Rachel in the description below once this goes up um, and, and in the podcast form, if, you, if you're listening later via podcast. Um, so there'll, there'll be all of that information. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to convince Rachel that she should also give us her like top picks for books that you should read that I can put in the comments as well in the description for kind of your first steps of what books might be a great intro for you. Do you think, would you be up for that, Rachel? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, 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 yeah. And I can even update it frequently. I'll keep sending, I'm still reading. So yes. And, and I love that. Always be learning, right? Like that constant journey. She's a financial advisor guys, and she's still constantly learning. Like that's what we do as technicians, right? We're always growing, always learning. It's the same thing. So wherever you're at in the financial journey, whether you're just starting out and you don't have a penny to your name or whether you already have a decent savings and you're looking for that next step, like there's there's resources out there. You just have to be willing to kind of create that goal, create that vision and be willing to put in the work to do it and to get yourself there. So um God, there's so much great information that you drop, Rachel. Are there any final final words that you want to share with people? Any like advice uh, for folks who are listening? Just start. That's my only piece of it. Just start. Wherever you're at, you're not alone. I would just start. Start thinking about it and start taking small steps toward whatever crazy big goals you have. I love it. That's perfect. Thank you so very much for agreeing to join. I feel like we could do this for like two more hours. We definitely have to do more of these sessions. We've got to have you on again because this hour just like absolutely flew by. Um, you're phenomenal. You're a wealth of information. Folks who are listening, who are watching, um, please seriously take her up on reaching out. Um, she's incredibly, if you hadn't noticed, incredibly approachable and incredibly friendly and, and wants genuinely to help more trades folks create generational wealth, create a good life for themselves, um, create financial independence for themselves. So thank you so much, Rachel, for, for joining me and hanging out with me. This has been an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Thank you.
And everybody watching at home, thank you guys for taking time out of your day, uh, taking an evening to hang out with us on the With Her Two Hands podcast. Uh, every week we get to sit down with another incredible woman in the trades, sharing their, their knowledge, their passion, um, everything that they love about this industry and the things that they see room for improvement in. Um, it's been an incredible journey for me to be able to be on, and I'm so grateful for all of you who have joined in on this journey and spent their time with us each week. Uh, as always, you can catch new episodes every Wednesday night at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. You can catch archived episodes every Monday night. We release another one of those live on YouTube and on, on Facebook. Excuse me, I almost said Instagram. Live on YouTube and on Facebook. And of course, anywhere where you get your podcasts, you can also get with her two hands. We'll release new episodes each Thursday morning. Um, Please, if you enjoy this series, if you want this to keep going and want us to keep introducing you to more incredible women working in the trades, uh, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, let us know what you think of the series, share it with your friends. Uh, if you've got young kids who are looking for career paths, there's a great library of interviews in this series of different careers and different paths folks can take to make a great career and a great life for themselves. And if you have questions for us, if you have an idea for a episode, a topic that you would love to hear us address, make sure you reach out and let us know. We want to answer your questions and get you the information and the resources that you're looking for. So thanks again for joining in and hanging out with us. A huge thanks again to our sponsor for this episode, Drive Time, for their support. And for now, until next time, be good to yourselves, be good to one another. Good night, guys. <laughs>